1: Here's the Fangirls on Jackalope Radio.
2: Hey everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Fangirl Radio Show. I'm your host Jessica Dwyer and this episode is a special uh, all interview episode and we've got two really great guests for you. Um, first up is Mike Nelson from what you may know as MST3K, Mystery Science Theater 3000, who is also part of the Rift Tracks crew. And this month, um, he and uh, Kevin Murphy and Bill Corbett are going to be riffing on the classic Night of the Living Dead. So Mike Nelson has joined us to talk about that, as well as all the rift Tracks um, information you can handle uh he is a great guest he was really fun to talk to and i think you're going to enjoy it um after that we're going to have scott ian uh, scott ian as you probably know is one of the um members of the amazing middle band anthrax and he's also the host of a series called blood and guts with scott ian uh, which is available on the YouTube Nerdist channel, and it's—I um, believe—the third season is starting. It started this this month, and there will be new episodes. I believe they come out every Thursday um, on the uh, on the network. And it is the nerdest channel on YouTube. And the show follows Scott as he gets to live out every fanboy and girl's dream, going to like places like Rick Baker's house and Rick Baker's uh, studio and Bob Burns' house to see all of his collection, as well as just getting made up by some of the biggest and best makeup artists in the Hollywood Um, Including Greg Nicotero getting to beat up zombies and get blood and guts all over you, hence the title Blood and Guts with Scott Ian. Well, Scott talks to us about doing that and his uh, love of horror, and um, we get a a little insight into when we may get to get a uh, new Anthrax album. So, with that, um, I hope you enjoy this episode. And um, up first, we'll have Mike Nelson. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome Mike Nelson to Fangirl Radio. Mike really doesn't need an introduction. But I'm going to give him one anyway. He was the um, <laughs> he was the uh, man to take over the satellite of love after Joel left, and um, he has his own rabid fan base of fangirls. If it's any indication uh, from the questions that I got bombarded with to ask him. And he is also now part of the Rift Tracks crew, and they are going to be doing Night of the Living Dead, October 24th, live uh, via satellite throughout the country. And uh, Mike, thank you for joining us.
1: It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: (laughs) So I I have a ton of questions for you, and um, we actually had some listener questions submitted as well. So we've got a ton of them, and I'm just going to start off. Um, Let's do this let's do this let's rock this puppy so even though you have a script when you um when you do the shows and when you do the um the episodes have you um but specifically live do you ever improv anything during the live riff tracks
1: oh yeah the the live is especially right for improv because it's always different and the audiences are always a little bit different and so I think the three of us enjoy uh, kind of throwing each other a little bit off, just in the right way, and try to surprise each other. Uh, because normally, you know, we're like sitting in our dark little cubicles writing jokes that, and we have no idea whether they're whether they're funny or not. So it's good to get out and field test them in front of an audience. And and for us, it's a big uh, joy and a relief. So we do tend to be a little looser and, uh, and a little more improv in the live situation.
2: Nice. And that kind of leads into my next question, which is, how is the process different from the live shows as opposed to when you're recording for the episodes?
1: It's a little bit, uh, the, the writing's different. We've done enough now that you kind of get a sense of the kinds of jokes that will work in live, and um, it's hard to put, put my finger on it. I, I guess uh, you know, there's a lot of things that surprise even us looking at the screen. It's kind of Things happen and laughs happen off of actions on the screen that a lot of times we've constructed this great, super clever joke, and you kind of have to abandon it because people are laughing at, you know, like a dog on screen or something. <laughs> so it's a little bit more, uh, it's a little bit more unpredictable, so our writing is a little looser in that way. If that makes any sense at all, that sounded like the ravings of a lunatic, but...
2: Oh, no, we, we understand we're all nuts here, too, but I, it does actually make sense because it's, it's a little bit more organic as it goes.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: That's great. Um, so, I'm, one thing I had to ask you because I'm—I've been a fan since I was in high school. I, I've, you know, I've watched everything you guys have done, pretty much. How do you find the like? It seems like you've found more surrealistic, just ridiculous, crazy, drug-induced haze sort of shorts <laughs> that. <laughs> I mean, I, I I can't do justice to how bizarre some of them are that you've you've been doing lately. How do you find these things? Um, like the the guy in the car, the the ghost bus one was particularly um, the 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 crash and the the ghost from it was particularly just bizarre.
1: Yeah, it's that's one of the joys of the job is that we um, we have a, a little sixteen millimeter film set up and. And we just buy boxes of stuff from schools and from, you know, you just go on eBay and people bought libraries and things. And it's always, uh, the, the writing room is always full. People love this moment when you just pop on films and, you know, eight out of ten of them are just a waste of your time and, and you end up getting the scissors, literally, and just cutting the film and throwing it in the garbage. but. <laughs> But the beauty is when you just, because you never know what you're going to get, because they're often they're not even labeled or they're mislabeled or they're just in a, a gray canister with no markings at all. <laughs> so it's just sort of fun. It's like, you know, a little Indiana Jones thing where you open up the box. And, and, and a lot of times this weirdness comes out. And that is just so much fun when you see, when you suddenly discover this. So part of it is like, you know, we love being curators of this weird stuff. It's just, it's really fun to discover.
2: Well, I was going to ask you, um, one thing I wanted to know, what is the strangest one so far that you have found? Because it almost sounds like you could accidentally mm-hmm. come across somebody's old snuff film or something when you're doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, there are, you can buy home movies. We're we well clear of those. Uh, but uh, no, I think the, the weirdest that we discovered um, there's a uh, film company called ACI and there was these things called At Your Fingertips, which are like these I guess it's supposed to be like a craft series, but these kids uh, they make these kids just like glue stuff together in these insane shapes and this weird music plays, and there's a whole series of them we've done them in our live shows, and those are the weirdest thing. You cannot figure out what this was supposed to be, or who this was for, or whose time this was wasting. And and so we we love those. Those are the weirdest we've ever found.
2: Oh my, I, I think I've seen those too. And you're right. Those are. You wonder if they're sniffing the glue that they're using as they make it. I mean, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of a broader question here, I right? because I I have to know if you could riff, like if you could pick any movie just any like say you've been given a license to pick any film ever made to riff which one would you pick and why
1: oh boy I'm on the spot um, <laughs> well the ones that we had the most fun with that were sort of a surprise to us because we just we had talked about doing the Twilight films for a while and and uh, I sort of talked everyone else into it I'm like you know they're really they're popular and I screened one and they're really, they're kind of slow. And so they fit perfectly. And then we did them and and it turned out to be our most popular ones we ever did. And for us, uh, I don't want to say easy, but pretty good pickings for us. So, uh, you know, we, we did the Kickstarter to try and, and get the, uh, try and get the film to do in a live situation. But, uh, they, they weren't quite willing to give it up to us yet. They say, they're not saying no, maybe in the future, but I think the original Twilight, just the way that it's paced and everything and the ridiculous effects and everything would be a really good one.
2: You know, I honestly think you could probably get Rob Pattinson at this point to do the riffing with you.
1: You know, we, we had talked about that. There's a, a number of the cast there who have a pretty good sense of humor about everything. It might be kind of fun to do a, a big all-star riffing of Twilight.
2: <laughs> I I honestly think he probably hates those movies more than anybody else now.
1: <laughs> That's what I've heard. That's, uh, that speaks
2: well of him. <laughs> I know, right? He's got good taste. So, um kind of leading into that too, I know um no no one can replace your 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 co-riffers. But if you could go back and just pick anybody in history, it doesn't matter if they're dead, alive, undead as in the case, you know, of you know, we're talking about Nile living dead, but if you could pick any two people, who would you pick to uh, riff, a, riff a movie with?
1: Oh, uh, well, um, maybe uh, Mark Twain and Edgar Allan Poe. You kind of get the, the the humor there, and then you get really dark humor <laughs> <laughs> over on the other side. Uh, <laughs> I think they'd probably be pretty quick witted, and uh, you know they could probably come up with a pretty silver tongued joke just on the fly. <laughs>
2: There might be a fight breaking up between the two of them too. I could totally see if this fight happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, and Poe would love uh, Night of the Living Dead, of course. So
2: that's true. That's a good point. And and kind of uh, leading into that, um, it's talking about zombies, and and you are you now have been baptized in film. You you have you've basically become a you've sort of had to become an expert in with what you do. Um, monsters tend to come in waves, sort of. It seems like, you know, with Twilight, the vampire phenomenon just blew up again, and now we're on to zombies. Why do you think, you know, why do you think the zombies have become so everywhere now? Why, why do you think the zombie trend has happened specifically?
1: It's a good question. I I can't figure it out because the vampires, you know, you get the sort of they they sparkle and they're sexy and everything. But uh, zombies don't have a lot going for them. They're not very fast. They're not very attractive, I've noticed. Um, (laughs) So I I don't know what it is. I I think uh, maybe there's just a sense of doom hanging over the country and and people want their movies to reflect that. I, I, I hope that's not true.
2: Well, I know Romero himself, who's the, you know, the man who started it all with the film that you're doing, um, he used it as a metaphor later on for, well, at the time it was used for a metaphor for civil rights, but also he used it for um, capitalism and, and the way that, with the mall culture that was coming on in Dawn of the Dead. So, I don't know, I think you may have hit the nail on the head with that one, though, with with it being sort of a sense of doom and we're all kind of trapped in this world.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, but I also think that uh, maybe it's, it's that sense of, uh, it's getting close to like a video game, you know, where you're having to evade these things that are coming at you. It's sort of, you know, those two worlds are melding and everything. But then again, maybe I just made that up, and I don't really believe it. I'm not sure.
2: <laughs> we got serious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and, and I, I have some questions here that our listeners submitted, and I, I have to ask them because if I don't, I will probably be beaten about the neck and shoulders horribly. Um, so first off, Jay Schuler. He was wanting to know, was there a film so bad that riffing couldn't save it? You gave up halfway through and just threw it in a fire.
1: Uh, Yes. Yes, in fact, there was a couple. Um, We did way back at Mystery Science, and I'm not going to remember the name of it, but it was an old crash on a deserted island and meet a bunch of uh, stop-motion dinosaur movies, and we thought they looked kind of good, and and so we thought it was kind of funny. And we started writing it, and it was just dreadfully dull and boring. And as luck would have it, the, uh, um, and we had lobbied to get this film, and they paid you know, decent money for it. And then right in the middle of it, as we were telling them, you know, we can't do this movie, we're getting ready to make this phone call, they called us and said, hey, we lost the rights to that dinosaur movie, so you're out of luck. And <laughs> so we were able to use that as leverage, even though we were, uh, we were dying. It was just killing us. <laughs> uh, so that one, and, and there's been, uh, I know that we had a really tough time one, really early on with one called uh, The Robot versus the Aztec Mummies. I'm not sure we oh. saved that one at all. So.
2: I, I think that was the, fir- was that the first one that you ever did?
1: No, nah, it, it was like the second. I remember that in the writing room, um, we stopped and and then there was a small, I think we had a bunch of tequila brought in. It was the only time there was ever any substance in the writing room. And uh, we ended up like tipping over chairs in protest. And and then the next day we got back at it and tried to finish it. But I think that nearly defeated us.
2: (laughs) I love the tequila for the Aztec mummy. Oh, that's great. Um, So uh, Wallace McBride had uh, asked us, have you ever felt guilty about riffing on an actually good film? Have you ever done a good film?
1: Uh, yeah, we have. I mean, there's a number of films that we've done that I like. And I guess the answer is no, because we treat the film, you know, in the, in the manner that it deserves to be treated. In-, in other words, we're not very bitter with any film. We're, we're just sort of having fun with it. So uh, when we do a good movie, like just as a, a test, just for a stunt, we did Casablanca, which we all love. And it's such a great movie. But we did a riff on it, and it was successful in its in its own right in terms of it being – we're not mocking the movie. It's just like like we say, it's like sitting around with your funniest friends. So, um, yeah, we've done plenty of movies that I like a lot, and, and I think it works fine.
2: Great. I couldn't believe I, – I went and saw um, Casablanca on New Year's Eve one night, and I couldn't believe how sexual – a lot of the stuff in that is in that, that movie's got some seedy stuff going on that they snuck into it. I couldn't believe that. I just was sort of, wow.
1: Yeah, and, and a really, really sly sense of humor about it, too, where it's really, <laughs> it's it's very funny. It's it's There's a lot of, even one-liners and things, but it's a sly humor going through the whole thing. It's really great.
2: <laughs> and my husband, we walked out, and we dressed up because it was New Year's Eve, and, and he looked at me and he goes... I never realized how dirty that
1: could <laughs> yeah, like, that's right. Yeah,
2: it's true. Um so uh my co-host Ren had asked, was there ever a joke so bad you decided to cut it? Like and and if if so, can you tell it now?
1: Uh, <laughs> well <laughs> there there is a one, there's a lot that we cut and we, we think about, you know, you think about it again and maybe the third time you're like, ah, especially in the live situation, live audiences don't, uh, they may not like the amount of the the sort of buildup of the body jokes or something. So you got to be ready if the audience just is, is you know, you're sensing that they don't like them. But anyway, in the, in the run-up to Starship Troopers, uh, we did That's cut... A joke. It wasn't very significant, and we ended up with just a different joke there. But there, it was just something about, um, you know, the guy with half of his arm cut off, and there was some joke about, and it was vague. I don't know what it means, but he's she says like I'm into stumping or something like that. And I just thought it sounded, I thought it sounded gross. So I, so I, uh, I cut that one, and and some of the younger writers protested, but you know.
2: God, I don't blame you. No, I I couldn't believe. I hadn't seen Starship Troopers. I went and saw that, and I couldn't believe how long it had been since I'd actually saw it. I'd only seen it once in the theater. And I forgot how psychopathically obsessive she was with him in that.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. That was a good
1: source of humor for
2: us, yeah. (laughs) So um, Aaron wanted to know, have you... Um, ever had an actor actually get angry and send you sort of like angry letters or something about riffing on a film that they were in?
1: Uh, not directly. We've only heard we've heard the the good things. There's actors who will get in touch with us and you know just say that they liked it or or um, but and, and there's others who have said we've heard secondhand that they didn't like what we were doing. But those are you know those are hearsay. So who knows? but the uh, the only direct one was uh back in the day Joe Don baker oh. uh, the actor was we heard he was upset about um we've done a couple of his films, and he was somebody said they were on a movie set with him and were upset so we that he was upset so uh I mentioned that once to a bunch of uh critics at a critics convention must have been a room full of them, and they thought it was funny so they all went out and called Joe Don Baker and said, "Is this true and then So enough of them called him that I think he actually did become enraged and gave a quote like, you know, if I ever see that guy, I'm going to kick his ass or something like that. (laughs) So that was sort of inadvertently, uh, yes, that is true that he was angry about that.
2: I think you could outrun him. Yeah, I'm just saying. Well,
1: he's bigger than me though. I I have to run.
2: (laughs) He might throw a beer can at you. That might slow you down. That's That's right. (laughs) Um, So Stacy Matlock uh she wanted you to know that she absolutely loves you and the only thing she had well, she had you. a re- yes she she does and uh she want the only thing she had was a request which was say roast hour roast hour
1: you mean that you mean <laughs>
2: that's roast hour roast hour uh there you go stacy he did it <laughs> Oh, man, I forgot how funny that one was, too. Um, so Mary, she just wanted to, you know, to know how much your fans love you and that they want you to keep making the theatrical riff tracks um, because it's great for everybody to see you guys on screen as well and um, to enjoy this experience as a, as a, as a group of fans. And we, abso- we do. We absolutely love all you guys, and we, we enjoy it so much.
1: Well, it's very nice of me to say we, we love doing the live thing, too, because, you know, the, the uh, spontaneous laughter, like it really does build. And, and we hear that even at the theaters like across the country, you kind of run into the same people and people are making friends. And there's something about it that kind of it makes it like a party atmosphere. And I, I love that that happens. And I love to, you know, be a part of that.
2: Well, and what's great is, um, even at the shows that I go to here, people are applauding and talking to you like you're there, and, and uh, we all applaud at the end, too, along with the audience on screen, so it, it is, it really is like a big interactive thing, and it's so phenomenal to be a part of that.
0: Oh,
1: it's really cool to hear, thank you.
2: Well, and, and I can't wait for Night of the Living Dead. Is there anything that you can tell us maybe that might be happening, like, special? Is there any surprises that we can expect in this? Because you guys sometimes have, your like, uh, surprise guest stars show up and, and sing, like, maybe Jonathan Colton.
1: Well, I'll, I'll spoil one surprise because I think it's, it's worth it, is that um, we've, we found, speaking of the, the shorts earlier, we found this series of Norman shorts. Norman's the you know the the hard luck business traveler guy. Oh, we can't figure out where these we can't figure out where these came from or what the purpose was. But anyway, we found another one, and so we're going to debut a uh, a Norman Please. thing at this one. Uh, so uh, that we always look forward to Norman because he's, he's the, the existential dread that we're all just staving off. You know,
2: <laughs> he personifies it all. <laughs> right. That is awesome. Well, Mike, I want to say thank you again. And I, I just want to, um, you know, echo back that we do. We love you guys. You're you're like... And we absolutely love um, seeing these films with you and, and sharing in that. You guys make us laugh our butts off. I've been, a, like I said, I've been a fan since high school of the show, and of MST3K, and now this. It's just great. And I want to thank you and... Uh, Bill and and uh, Kevin, thank you guys so much for doing this. We we love it.
1: Oh, Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. It was great talking to you today.
2: It was great talking to you. And so everybody, Night of the Living Dead, October 24th, Fathom, of, Fathom Event. Um, be there with the zombies, and hopefully we won't see you get your brains get eaten. That would not
1: be pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you there.
2: All right. Thank you so much, Mike.
1: Thank you. Bye
2: bye. Bye bye. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome Scott Ian from Blood and Guts with Scott Ian to uh, Fangirl Radio. He's joining us for our month of Halloween celebration here. And um, Blood and Guts just uh, started its, I believe, third season on the YouTube um, network for the Nerdist. And I want yep. to thank you, Scott, for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. So, just first off, I, I have to say I, I I love I love Blood and Guts, and the show and the uh, actual Blood and Guts. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask you. I think in the show, some of the most beautiful work I saw was the stuff at Spectral Motion. What was your favorite piece in the in the studio? Can you pick just one, or do you have a couple?
0: It's it's hard because you know the shows a lot of them are, are also different, you know, and initially it kind of started off where it was kind of like, let's just, Scott will show up and we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll talk a little bit about how things are done and then we kill him, you know, and it, it, it was kind of a simple format like that. But as we've kind of been progressing along, it, it's just gotten, a little, uh, don't get me wrong. I love getting made up and having like my head chainsawed or, or things like that. But um, at the same time, just getting a little bit more into the process is certainly more interesting for me as well, along with all the gore and the blood and gut. So it's kind of hard to just pick one. Uh, I mean, Greg Nicotero was, he was the first one initially, when we approached him about doing the show, he was like, well, I see what you've done before, and it's basically, you know, you getting killed in every episode, so what if I have you, you know, bash zombies and stuff like that, which was... Awesome because I got to do the killing that time and <laughs> feel what it was like to break a zombie's head open with a pipe. Um, so that that moment kind of resonates pretty deeply with me. And uh, um, there was the Gary Tunnicliffe episode I thought, which that's just that was the one where the girl uh, cameraman turns into a zombie, attacks me, bites my neck, and then Gary shoots her in the head. Oh
2: yeah. And, yeah.
0: Um, but I just thought that one from an episode point of view was kind of like, that was kind of like where I think we envisioned the show going, where we were almost like making a little mini-movie or we had a story that we we came up and we filmed it and we made an eight-minute short out of it, rather than it just being kind of a technical episode. So I thought that episode was really cool. And then, obviously, Rick Baker. I mean, you know, we got to spend two days hanging out with him, and that was insane. So, yeah, spectral motion was great. Um <laughs> You know, I, I I can't say that there's been any that uh, everyone is so different. The Ron Trost episode where I, I get to get shot and blown up and shoot a flamethrower. I mean, every week it's kind of like I get to go do something that in my life I never thought I was going to be able to do or be a part of. So it's all been just a blast for me.
2: That's awesome. I I really I actually like the one where you were turned into like the insmouth um fish guy too. That that oh, was. Oh, Joe just...
0: Harlow, yes. Yeah, that's amazing. That was amazing. I mean, that that like the best makeup that's been done on me. Uh, you know, it's just, um, and we just shot one, which uh, uh, I don't know if it's the next episode. I think it might be, where it's the first time we worked with a true horror icon, and I'm not talking about the artist, I'm talking about a character. Ooh. And um, so that was <laughs> that was pretty fucking amazing as well. <laughs>
2: And, uh, well, and I, I was going to ask about Rick Baker's place. Cause he is like one of my all time gods of horror. That guy is just amazing. What was it like to like to walk around in there? Cause I couldn't believe that's his, that's his studio. I mean, good God, it looks like a, a, a church almost.
0: Yeah. His shop is incredible. It's, it's just really amazing. Uh, walking in there it it's pretty mind blowing the amount of you know it, it, you know obviously he's been doing it for a long time and he's worked in some of the biggest most famous you know movies uh, when it comes to effects ever and a lot of it's on display there so when you walk in it's you know it's like going to the Smithsonian of <laughs> of horror um it, it it was really cool uh you know when you, i guess if you're a movie producer and you say, yeah, yeah, let's, think, let's talk about getting Rick Baker in to do this. You go to his shop, and, uh, you know, if you didn't know his work, obviously all you need to do is walk in, and, and in two seconds it's like, oh, that's who Rick Baker is? <laughs> you know, it's just insane.
2: Oh, my God. So I, I'm curious, what have you learned that's the most surprising thing about the special effects industry so far since you've been doing this?
0: most surprising
2: thing? Mm-hmm. Something that you had no idea about.
0: Um, I don't know. I, I don't know that there is something. Uh, um, I it's not. No, I mean I was going to say maybe just how similar uh, the movie business is to the music business, but I, I can't say I was surprised by that. Um, no, I, I don't know that I was actually surprised by anything. Truthfully. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, no, I, I can't think of one thing. Maybe by the end of the conversation, I'll think of something that surprised me, but offhand, I can't think of anything.
2: Gotcha. Well, and I know that you've talked to these guys, and you spend so much time with them, and they all have really interesting stories, and because um, I, I, I loved listening to Rick talk about all the process and things that he did and and what how long it took for American werewolf to finally happen. But it was also interesting to hear him talk about the guys setting the makeup chairs and and what they had to deal with with the actors and being put in makeup. Who had the most interesting story uh, for you about an actor in a makeup chair, and what was it?
0: Uh, well, the, the most interesting stories are the ones we can't show or or, or can I talk about so you know uh, from stories that we did talk about on the air truthfully after a, a, however many episodes we've done i can't remember uh, which ones we've we've talked about or not talked about um I mean Rick baker certainly um, has worked with probably the most famous actors let's say and and he had an amazing jack nicholson story which i can't repeat um uh from working on him uh you know working with him on wolf uh uh-huh. um and he had a great jim carrey story from the grinch which i i also can't repeat um you know yeah I, that's that's a blast i mean i could sit around and listen to stories like that all day The 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 sad part about it is, is I can't relate any of these stories to anybody because they're all secret, and I would get people in trouble, and people would lose their jobs or lose potential jobs by me speaking about it. So, um, you know, but yeah, it's it's amazing, you know, hearing stories because I come at that, I come at that side of the world as just a total fan of the movie industry, whether it's the effects industry or just movies in general and actors and actresses and. Um, I'm not a part of that world, so I'm just straight up a fan of it. So when I get to hear a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, it's, that's maybe one of the best parts about it for me as well. Um, you know, uh, but most of the stuff I can't talk about. You know, because when it, obviously when it comes <laughs> gotcha. to, let's say, if someone's being someone's difficult to work with, that's not something I can then go, to, "Hey, guess what? So and so told me, you know, <laughs> I, I, about about this guy." Like, you know, I I can't I can't talk shit. So oh,
2: gotcha. No, that's,
0: that's one just, of the frustrating things. I, I, I just have to keep my mouth shut.
2: Yeah, just knowing that Jack Nicholson had an interesting story, I I can, almost my imagination can make up a better one than probably one
0: it is. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, I do get to hear a lot of, obviously it's not all negative. I get to hear a lot of positive stuff, too, about people. Uh, you know, Joel Harlow, uh, who's been working with Johnny Depp, I think, since the first Pirates movie, he became like his, guy he's johnny depp's guy who works with johnny exclusively and he's done every movie i believe with johnny since the first pirates movie and uh and that's because you know they they basically became friends and formed a a working relationship um where johnny just has absolute trust in joel's ability to visualize and then you know create uh, a character for him and obviously johnny's not someone who's afraid of makeup. He's someone who will go through all the, the pain and the, the, the annoyance and, uh, uh the frustration. And and when I say pain, I mean, literally pain, oh, yeah. um, of sitting in a makeup chair for eight to 10 hours and having to wear prosthetics for days and days and days and weeks and weeks at a time to, you know, to create a character. And, um, he's someone who loves that. And obviously it's, it's a big part of what he does in a lot of movies. So, um, it's great to hear that as a fan because, uh, you know, you'd like to think that these people are just as into it as, as I am as a fan. I've said it many times sitting there in the chair. I'm like, you know, look, I know I don't have to do this every day at 4 a.m. for eight hours for, for the next three months, you know. But if I had that job, I would certainly be glad to do it if it was something that was adding to the end, you know, the end product of a movie. If this is what it takes to get the movie done, then I'm going to do it. I would never bitch about it, you know, ever, ever, ever would I ever bitch about it. So it's good to hear, you know, about guys like that who are obviously massive movie stars and probably don't need to to go through that but are willing to do it and love to do it.
2: Well, and he's he's well known for just loving the horror genre too and, and growing up on that stuff. And that's that always makes me happy to hear that um, guys like him get to do this and, and absolutely love it and keep it going, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, and even, you know, I know a lot of people who worked with Keanu Reeves, you know, and now, uh, you know, having worked with a lot of these dudes, and they say he's another guy that is just gung-ho for it. He's all in, committed, like, whatever you want to do, go for it. And I was glad to hear that because he's actually a friend of mine. So <laughs> I didn't want to hear anything bad about my buddy. <laughs>
2: I love him too. He's got that um new it's like a new fantasy martial arts movie coming out that looks super super good. I'm excited. With
0: uh, 47 Ronin?
2: Yeah. A man of Tai Chi. Um I I 47 Ronin. I that's the one yeah, I saw yeah. the trailer for and it just looks phenomenal. I am really stoked for that. Um, yeah, it looks amazing. So- so you were on the set of Teen Wolf, and you were talking about how your attitude changed on some parts of horror, um, like you finally got to watch Buffy, and it turned you around on the whole Buffy phenomenon. What have you learned about um, doing this show, during this show, um, that you've grown to love now that you've learned about it? Like, Did you start watching Teen Wolf and get a new appreciation of that um, that subgenre, or...? <laughs>
0: Um, I can't say I've started watching it because I just don't have time to watch really anything on TV anymore, hardly. So um, that's one thing you find out quickly when you have a child is your ability (laughs) to keep up with television and movies goes right out the window. So, um, no, uh, um, it's not like I've gotten to see the series uh, since I did it. That's not to say someday I might not try and go back and watch it, Mm -hmm. but – at this point, no, I haven't seen it. But I, like I, I think I, you know we pretty much expressed the sentiment in the episode. I certainly went in thinking it was going to be really just kind of a cheesy thing. But then when I saw the guys that were working on it, I'm like, well, these guys do serious stuff. I, I know who these guys are. I've worked with them before, and, and I don't think they're doing this just for a paycheck, because you know, if you work on something cheesy for a paycheck, then you might, that might affect your ability. To get more jobs because well we don't want the guys that worked on that that's cheesy we don't want anything to do with it but um from uh from where they're coming at it uh you know and uh their attitude it's it's straight up horror and you know the work they're doing is really good
2: yeah i loved your werewolf makeup that that was great you looked really really cool with that oh thank you and I love the claws. The claws look great too. Um, so what was well, the one thing I don't thing- know why
0: I'm saying thank you, I didn't do it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you pulled it off well. Let's say thanks. So what was the one thing that you really wanted to like grab and run with that you couldn't because you would probably have been throttled that you have seen in in these places that you've gotten to go into?
0: Oh, you mean like prop wise? Yeah. Oh God. Well, I mean, <laughs> when we went to Bob Burns's house, you know, and uh, if, for people who haven't seen that episode, the Rick Baker episode, uh, um, Bob Burns is a, uh, best bet is to just Google Bob Burns, but he's got a, um, you know, he's been involved in the horror world forever. He's basically, he discovered uh, Rick, you know, when Rick was basically a teenager and Bob was working in, in horror movies. And, um, it, you know, he's got a collection of, of, horror memorabilia, props, you know, when I say memorabilia, I'm not talking about like, you know, signed photos of Christopher Lee. I'm, I'm talking about stuff like the actual, you know, skeleton of King Kong from the original King Kong movie, like the actual metal frame that was used, because everything else, you know, all the the foam and the hair and everything that they made the gorilla with, that's all since, you know, rotted away, but he's got the actual metal skeleton. He has the actual full uh, wolf, uh, werewolf from American Werewolf in London, that was used in the movie. You know, at the the end scene when he's trapped in the alley. Or I mean, he's got so many incredible actual movie used props from uh, you know James Cameron movies, and uh, I just it's an unbelievable collection. I mean, there was so much stuff in his basement that I was like, oh my god, I wish I had this. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, and I love that you got him to say fuck CGI.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bob's the
2: best. He, he's amazing. I, I found out just recently he's got the only remaining um, mummy, actual mummy um, mask from the original Universal films.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, sure.
2: He, it, and he's keeping it preserved. And it's the only one left remaining out of the only piece of Jack Pierce's makeup left. He's right. got, and it's wow. just, oh my God, I, I want it. <laughs> so ha- are you happy about just kind of going veering off a little bit? Are you happy about the amount of horror that's popping up on TV now? And do you think that how that's, do you wonder how that's going to affect the film industry? Do you think they'll try a little bit harder to make the horror movies a little bit more horror after, with like The Walking Dead taking on and, and, and all of that?
0: I mean, you know, I'm obviously not a, a Hollywood producer, but, you know, you would think that, well, look, both both formats, TV or movie, are having huge successes, uh, you know, in, in the genre. Obviously, Walking Dead, uh, American Horror Story is on its third season, and I haven't seen any of the new season Yet, but from what I saw, I saw something online where it said it's having massive ratings. Um, You know, so obviously horror and, you know, things like Teen Wolf and so many other shows that are on television right now um, are all doing really well. And then, of course, in movies as well. Look, I mean, look at The Conjuring. It was made for like such a tiny, tiny little budget. I mean, I I think at, at the end of the day, it'll be the most successful movie of 2013 just based on what it costs to make and what it's taken in worldwide. Um, You know, so, you know, and of course there's a lot of misses as well. It's not to say that everything that's being produced on TV and in movies is good because it's far from it, but they are having a lot of success. So all you can hope is that producers will, producers, writers, directors, will look at what's doing well, uh, what people are reacting to and what people are connecting to and try and, you know, try and keep doing more things that, that are, are, are going to bring more people into the genre, people that not just preaching to the choir of people who are already in the horror, but doing something that's going to make someone who never would have really maybe given horror a chance before and say, you know what, this is fucking cool. I mean, that's walking dead is the best example of that. Um, you know, the amount of people that are watching that week after week, uh, on TV, that's not just horror fans, because if it was just horror fans watching, the show would have probably got canceled midway through the first season because there wouldn't have been enough people watching it. And, um, you know, it's bringing in massive numbers of mainstream people watching it, and that, that's just great for the genre.
2: That's awesome. Um, so kind of hanging on to that question, what's your opinion on the effect of the sci-fi movies like Sharknado? to how people perceive horror fans in the horror genre.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I, as someone who's into horror, obviously, and into sci-fi and understands that a movie like that is is meant to be tongue-in-cheek and it's a one-off novelty kind of a thing, um, I really love that kind of stuff. It, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, it's it's really fun for me to check out. Um The only negative I can really see is people who, um, you know, people who are going to look at something like that and then go, oh, my God, that's so stupid, and just write off a genre based on something like Sharknado, maybe because they didn't understand it was supposed to be stupid. You know, I don't know if that's happening or not, but I I can't imagine really that it's doing anything Negative, because you'd have to be really stupid to watch that and not understand that it was done like this on purpose. So, um, and not all horror and sci-fi is Sharknado. So, (laughs) as someone who loves these genres, um, for me, it's just a lot of fun.
2: It is. I can't believe they're making a sequel too. That's just going to be. Of course they are. How do you follow that up?
0: (laughs) With anything, it doesn't matter as long as you do anything. But that's the thing about Sharknado it's, you know, they're walking a fine line because it could have been really bad and just really bad, but it was really bad and good at the same time, and that's, that's that fine line sometimes when you're really trying to do something on purposely bad, you know, and make it purposely crap, but make it awesome. It, it very easily could just turn out to be crap, and, um, you know, with Sharknado, they obviously accomplished what they were trying to do.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's cra- the, the concept is just hilariously crazy. Uh, I, I still laugh about it, and the, the costume the cosplayers at conventions took it on too, and now you have Sharknadoes walking around, which is crazy. <laughs> um, so as a Doctor Who fan, I have to ask before I, I, I wrap this up, how excited are you for the 50th anniversary special?
0: You know, I, I'm so out of the loop right now. I, 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 you're telling me about it for the first time. Truthfully, I like. I think I've seen things online, like as I'm, you know, cruising through a site or something. But I literally don't even have time to stop and read about Doctor Who. Uh, I've really had to edit what I like, what I could spend time doing in the five minutes sometimes that I get free, when I'm not either, you know. <laughs> working on anthrax music or taking care of my son uh, my nerd uh, my nerd time has really uh, been whittled down to uh, oh, the bare that's minimum
2: sad. that's sad it november 23rd the 50th anniversary special is going to happen and it may be uh-huh. um locally they may have it at a theater they're they're going to be showing it in theaters at the same time in 3D oh really it's going to be the, only, the last thing shown in 3D, uh, 3D via the BBC because they've not had enough interest in it, but they're going to actually do this in 3D. And it's going to be simulcast worldwide at the same time. Wow. Yeah, and, and John Hurt is playing the doctor.
0: Before, is, the, uh, before this?
2: Right. For the well, anniversary thing? Uh, in the anniversary, he is playing a doctor that no one knows anything about. He's uh-huh. like the mysterious doctor that did the time war, and it's uh, and Matt Smith and David Tennant are in it as well. Cool. So it's gonna it's gonna be really really neat. I'm very very excited. Well, I had one listener question that I had to ask you before I let you go. Um, Clay Matlock, who's been a, a huge fan of Anthrax since time immemorial, he just wants to know when the next record is coming out.
0: Oh. Um... No idea. Sometime next year.
2: Sometime next year?
0: <laughs> we're, we're, we're currently writing right now, so, um, but there's no way to, to really have a, an actual time frame yet. We're just in, kind of in the middle of writing songs.
2: Awesome. All right. Well, he'll be happy to hear that. Well, Scott, I want to thank you um, for joining us, and I want to thank you for doing this show, because it is, it's is—it's awesome to see a fan get to live this stuff out. Plus, it's just great to, to learn this stuff and get to see this stuff, thanks to you, you getting to go in there and sharing it with us.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me
2: thank you and and good luck with the new record and uh, good luck with the new new season of blood and guts it is it's awesome and um, I'm telling everybody about it so thank you again for joining us
0: right on, thank you
2: All righty, see ya bye-bye. Right, bye bye.